Will, what's up? Did you see the latest out of Haiti? Yeah, I'm watching it now. Still pulling people out. I know, it's amazing. They pulled a 70-year-old lady out today after six days. Yeah, I know, it's incredible. So, uh, uh, how are we getting in? Well, the airlines in the port are out of commission, so uh, I bought the tickets. For Dominican? Yeah, to Santo Domingo, so it's a border cross. Is Dave Phillips coming? Yeah, we'll meet him in Orlando for the flight. He said he's working on getting a place for us to stay. We're definitely gonna need to take the tents and the purifier, though. I know. It seems like there's nothing left there. But I guess we'll see it all soon enough. All right, man. Next stop, Port-au-Prince. All right. I'll see you later. Okay, so right now we're about to board our flight for Dominican Republic, and what we're going to do is we're going to be taking a transport across the border into Haiti. Uh, there's sporadic like text messages that are coming out of uh, Port-au-Prince, the capital. And that's where we're going. The main destination is to Port-au-Prince. Um, everything we've been seeing is basically on the news. We've been hearing reports from like you know the whole city's in chaos, and the fact that you know they're having trouble getting aid supplies actually to the people. But the most amazing stories so far are the stories of the survivors. They've been pulling people out for the last week and a half, some after eight or nine days with no food or water. So we're actually coming through the border area. We'll be crossing over. Um, we hear that there's lots of traffic. There's not a lot that we, um, we know what to expect. We just know that it's gonna be a difficult road in, and uh, we're bringing in some uh, goods and supplies for an organization that's working there, and we'll stay out at their compound. But other than that, that's all we know. Now it's just on to, uh, to Dominica and then Haiti, and then we should be into Port-au-Prince within about 24 hours. It's been almost 13 days since the earthquake. The miracle rescues are still happening. Every night, the evening news shows survivors pulled from the rubble. I can't imagine what it'd be like to be trapped in there. When they emerge, they take their first breath of freedom and start to worship God. Even the reporters on site can't help but be moved by it. On the ground, most people say it's dangerous and that the riots and lootings will only get worse. But if we could get in there and capture the story of what's going on, I think we could make a difference. Because somewhere in all of this tragedy, there has to be hope. So right now, it's about four o'clock in the morning and uh, we're on our way to Port-au-Prince, Haiti. And we've come into the hotels and we're staying at like a three or four star hotel. And they're crowded with either nuns, doctors, or aid workers, or missionaries going in. And everyone leaves early because they're trying to get a jump over to the border. So we're doing the same thing right now. We're about to take off and there's usually a lot more traffic. So we're heading out now.
worst disaster in United Nations history. The words of a senior UN official today as the international community struggles to get help into Haiti. It's feared the number of people killed by the earthquake could now reach 200,000. Amidst the chaos and frustration surrounding the humanitarian efforts in Haiti, there have been some miraculous rescues, even four days in. Seven-year-old Kiki and his ten-year-old sister survived seven days alone without food and water. A medical miracle, say doctors who examined them. A true miracle. There is still emerging of people being rescued from the rubble. From this tiny hole, there's a sound, a voice that seems almost to come from beyond the grave. Incredibly, someone has survived. camp actually out here for about 10 miles outside of Port-au-Prince and uh, and right now you can see if you come over here you can basically see all of our tent campments this is just kind of the area that we've had to, to mobilize in so you have you know your quick little tents some sleeping pads uh, and that's how it is you know after the disaster uh, one of the things about Haiti is is everybody's looking for a place to stay especially the aid workers who are coming in or NGO workers, and even for us, it's the same. You know, you, you're looking for any little patch that you can just pitch a tent, throw your stuff in, and uh, and at least have a place that you know you can uh, you can go back to and sleep at at night. But right now, we're gearing up, and we're about to head into the city, and this is it. This will be our first look at Port-au-Prince, and what's left in the aftermath. Basically, in this next week, we're going to see as much of Port-au-Prince as we can. We're going to see the desperate needs, the troubled areas, uh, the food distributions, whatever it takes. And uh, just see this, this city and kind of just mapping out where we're going right now, the area. But uh, it's definitely the best way of uh, getting around the city, because it gets so congested, so uh, choked up with traffic. But uh, it is tough because you got to put like mass and stuff because the dust from the, the earthquake is still very, very strong. Here we go. I mean, when the earthquake hit, it was around 5 o'clock in the evening. I mean, the, the force of, of these buildings just falling and crushing, you know, nobody was left. Anybody that was inside, you know, there was no chance for them to, to make it out alive. I didn't see the rubble, and what's incredible is how the rubble just, I mean, it looks like it's just been put in a pile, but this is from the actual, the, the force of the earthquake just crushed everything. 
just about pancaked down these buildings. You know, you see these buildings, it's got a lot of like computer printouts, everything else. What you imagine is the, how much like records in history is actually lost. The city history, personal records, public records, anything like that. It's the license plates. Identification cards ready to be printed on. Just spilled out on the street. We've seen very, very important government buildings, totally pancakes. I mean, you literally see the presidential palace. So it's like, you know, you've lost literally the history and the, the working government of Port-au-Prince and of Haiti. So this is another ministry building, and we've just come from uh, basically like the palace, and these are basically all in the same blocks right next to uh, the palace. You have the Ministry of Finance, the Ministry of like Foreign Affairs. This is another ministry uh, building as well, too. Completely, completely collapsed. Definitely. Got a little bit lost. There's no street signs or anything, so it's a little bit confusing when you get around the streets here. Hey, Dave, go to the right. It's so bad. There's roadblocks. There's impossible ways. So this is the best way to do it. We're in one of the main government schools, and uh, and this place was completely leveled. One of the good things that happened was the timing of the earthquake. Do you know how many people died in this in this place? No, there's no there's no no people died. No place. people, because everybody was dispersed then. Yeah, yes. You know, was you trying to find the sparkles of hope in all of the, you know, the catastrophe? Because it happened at five o'clock. Most people are getting off of work. Uh, schools are usually released at that point. I mean, even you know, with that, hundreds of thousands of people still died. But it could have been worse. It was a devastating earthquake. Who knows how many might have been saved if Haiti had had the infrastructure to cope. Homes and hospitals, churches and schools were destroyed. Adding to the chaos, a prison was flattened and hundreds of inmates have escaped. It was total chaos. The guards got overrun. You know, they were escaping through windows and holes and anything that was open. There was over 4,000 escaped. A lot of them were never been found again. As fire raged round Port-au-Prince's cathedral, it emerged that the country's archbishop had also been killed. Status spares no one in a natural disaster. I was at this corner one day when the cathedral fell down. 2,000 people and three seconds. 2,000 people. 2,000 people was died in this corner. I have seen many died at, at the grave. And I, and I won a lot, I won a lot. Yeah. I, saw, I, saw, I saw people, they just cover his faces, yeah. you know? You know? Yeah. They saw uh, survival, some survival. Yeah. Oh, it terrible. was terrible, terrible. I can't, I can't forget that. I can't, yeah. I can't. inside the largest cathedrals here. Looking at it from the outside, you see the perspective of it, you know, like you can see into the caverns and things like that, but we kind of worked our way in and a few people were trying to take out any sort of items that they could continue to use from like electric guitars. You know, one man was holding up like a, a statue of Jesus there and it's just like, the destruction is just total on every scale. But when you're in here and you're looking at it, it's like you're so small compared to, to how big this church was. And, uh, 
and to see how old it is, that's one of the other things about Haiti is they lost so much of their history in Port-au-Prince, historical relics and churches and things like that, gone. See the metal girdings, everything just crumpled under the pressure. Over here, all the the chairs, you know, if people were praying or you know, reading or anything, just the sheer amount of rubble that fell on top of them. Just totally destroyed. So when you're just like walking through the main cathedral and you see like all of, uh, you know, broken sculptures. And this one is like, you know, I'm assuming the foot of Jesus here. And it's just uh, the remnants, that's all that there is. It's just this little piece left. Whenever you see like something that's broken, you think of it as it was functioning before and what it must have been like before. You know, this is probably up on the wall and now it's just, you know, randomly thrown amongst all the rubble in here as well. Just outside of the cathedral, there's a group of bodies that has just been pulled out today. And this is something that's happening everywhere in the city. There's so many buildings that people haven't been recovered from yet. And when you walk into some places, you have to cover your face because the smell is just so strong. But even now, this city is still filled with death. What they would do is, right after the earthquake, even a day afterwards, they'd start bringing bodies uh, out from the city to bury in these mass graves here. So this whole area here is just buried bodies. Yes, all over there. All the way. You know, it's quite a staggering sight when you're actually seeing it, when you're standing in it, because you're thinking, you know, how many people are actually here in this site. And they just take them in from uh, dump trucks, like uh, garbage trucks from the yes, city? Yes, yes. They just they, they put them in the big, uh, the big, big truck. The big truck? Yes. Do the families come out here at all? No. no. Some of them, the family doesn't know. They don't know no, anything? They don't, no, they don't know anything. And last week, every day, bringing people here? Yes, every day. This is just where they come. They bring the bodies. They'll just dump them in dump trucks. It doesn't matter, rich, poor. Whoever you were, if you were, you know, if the, it was a dead body in the street, you know, it's just brought out here into one massive grave.
so far what they've estimated is they've put 150,000 people into these mass graves so far that they've counted. What's left in the rubble, that's the whole other concern. And you just see, you know, so many houses where you know nothing's been uh, recovered from there. They think there could be 100,000, 200,000 more bodies still to be uh, discovered. It's terrible for, like, grieving families that, you know, don't know where their son was buried or daughter was buried or, or anything like that. You know, they just thrown unceremoniously into a pit. It's really quite shocking when you're seeing it and you're, you know, you're witnessing it, seeing, you know, the aftermath and then seeing what, you know, is actually occurring now with these mass graves and, you know, looking down at it, you're actually seeing people. These are people who live their life. They live their every day in Port-au-Prince and, uh, and now, you know, it's just snuffed out in a second. downtown right now because it's really sketchy down there. Every time we go down there, there's always something going on, whether riots or looting or police shootings, anything like that. It's really, it's pretty, it's definitely the wildest area. So uh, we're going to head down there. We're here, the U.S. Uh, military is down there doing uh, some checkpoints and stuff like that. So we're going to go and uh, see what we can see down there. In just one short minute, the capital, Port-au-Prince, was torn apart. These people have seen it all. The wars, the dictators, but they surely never believed nature would do this to them. This is a city which folded in on itself, fragile in every sense. These are like reminders that puts a face to it. The people who lived, who worked here, who had lives, and then quickly, just in a moment, the whole building, you know, would come down. That's one thing we've seen, you know, kind of throughout is there's all these small little reminders of, you know, the people who lived here and then there's papers spread throughout, office material, there's personal items. You'll see like people's daily lives just, you know, scattered in this rubble. And then ultimately this is like their tomb. You can smell, uh, you can smell that there is, uh, that there is people who have perished in here. came here looking for a miracle and hope, but so far all we've seen is death and rubble. The buildings are twisted in on themselves, and the stones and their contents lay haphazardly, like falling flakes from a giant snow globe. The scene looks like something out of a war zone, and as we investigate, we wonder how anyone could have survived inside a collapse. We walk the beat in the downtown, and every new street brings a new story. The 82nd Airborne is down here doing cleanup, and the graffiti on the walls from the Haitians has a political message to the French. You look at all this activity going on, and you think about the people who might still be trapped. Can they hear us? Are they still holding on to hope? Is anyone still alive? This area is currently being excavated. You get the U.S. military that's kind of uh, watching over the whole process. It's basically what happens when they're clearing. That's when everybody like rushes in. They're trying to grab whatever they can, whatever they can scavenge, 
anything that could be of use. So as you can see, in this region, it's so compact, so tight, there's so much damage, and it's like people are literally trying to do whatever they can to survive, to uh, you know, provide anything they're, 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 they're doing, you know, as far as scavenging, taking, whatever, you know? Uh, it's, a, it's a tough situation. Every time they take a scoop out, you just, it, the smell just wafts up. Rescue teams are battling against time now to pull the remaining survivors from the rubble in Haiti. With much of their equipment still stuck at the airport or even outside the country, workers are struggling to save people still alive under collapsed buildings. They're hoping to find more people alive, but as each day, each hour goes by, the chances get slimmer and slimmer. The Haitian government and the UN said search and rescue operations should end. There was little hope of finding more people alive. So far, 133 people have been found alive. How many more might be under the rubble? How many others have died waiting for rescue?
stretcher in, they're going to put him on, get him, and then airlift him. Everybody was pretty excited and joyful that this even happened. We're still finding people, it's amazing. What is a miracle? The power to survive. The power to be brought back from death. I thank you, Lord that we've witnessed your hand and that in you there is hope. like to receive a DVD of the episodes you've just seen, please go to TravelTheRoad.com or call 1-866-EXPLORE. Our mission at Travel the Road is to preach the gospel to all creation and encourage the church to be active in the Great Commission. The episodes we produce are with the sole aim to make an internal difference and to inspire a new generation for missions. To find out more about the ministry of Travel the Road or to order from our catalog of DVDs, please visit us at TravelTheRoad.com and together we can make a difference.